0: You're listening to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, where we promote, encourage, and equip gospel-centered worship. For more information, visit us at doxologyandtheology.com.
1: All right, I think we'll go ahead and get, and get started. Um, and uh, what we'd like to do in this time is talk a little bit about contexts and worship planning from that perspective and then after that really open up the time for us to to dialogue together uh and to uh to to talk about what that uh what that looks like and and if we can help you and serve you in any way we would be honored to do that Um, i'll just talk a little bit um about where i am right now and then i'll turn it over to jonathan as well uh, obviously, here at Southern, I serve at at Highview Baptist Church. We're a multi-site campus. We have three campuses. Um, I serve at one of those campuses called the Fagan Bush Campus here in town, and I primarily uh, my responsibilities there are I do some preaching, but but primarily choir and orchestra um, in a in a in a pretty modern context, if I can use that that phrase. Um, and uh, do some discipleship training type things as well. Uh, for 14 years, I was at Second Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri uh, down in the, in the southwest part of um, Missouri and through those years really uh, realized how little I knew about designing and leading worship from the standpoint of scripturally guided worship and biblically guided worship and what that really meant and how that impacted what we sang, in a lot of ways how we sang it. And, um, and from that perspective, understanding that our theology informs our philosophy, which informs our methodology. And what I realized early on is is that I was doing things out here methodologically that had no theological root, that didn't even have a philosophical underpinning, from understanding really why are we doing this other than maybe it was a popular tune, maybe there was a, it was a great key uh, relationship, things like that, and really understanding the, the importance of, of, of that theological context for what we do and why we do what we do. Um, but it was in those 14 years that began to solidify some of those things. We plan at Highview as a team on, on our worship services. Um, Joe,
2: if it's cool for us to even kind of go back and forth. Please, on let's do Maybe that. Maybe I'll actually go ahead and get Jonathan, a little bit of context. Yeah, tell, tell them until we are. can talk about perfect, perfect. how we plan worship yep, in our right. respective context. Good. Good. So, my name is Jonathan Welch. I serve at a church called the Summit Church in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. Um, I've been there about 12 years now as a church member. So, a little bit about my background is um, I come from a small town in South Carolina. So, there's a a lot of cultural context there for just how we've always done a certain type of more traditional worship in that sense, piano, pipe, organ, whole nine yards, and then now to be in a church that's multi-site, we have, in the past 12 years, we've gone from one location with, with a couple hundred people to about 8,000 people that meet across seven different locations in our city, and so those, that's a wide spectrum of things to understand and how we apply and prep and plan for gathered worship in the local church. And for me and my role in that, I I started out 12 years ago just playing bass in the band. Um, A quintessential example of the farm team development approach, the kid from the copy room that became a worship leader that now oversees all, all of the worship staff and worship leader development and everything like that for our church
1: in that sense. Go ahead then and talk about that. Okay. Talk about that context and how you do that.
2: Yes. So... I'll get to the practical side first and then if it's, if it's more helpful to talk about just some of our tips and tricks and things like that. But we actually plan worship together as a staff team. And so even, even in a multi-site context, our model is that all of our worship staff meet together once a month and we actually look out four weeks at a time. So plan about a whole month at a time. And we try to look at, first of all, what our pastoral team is going to preach through first. And so we start there but then we just prayerfully sit before the Lord and, and say, okay, what are the other known emphases that we want to have as a church? We have, in some sense, some some form of liturgy that is specific to our context in the sense that at the summit, we do um, almost a monthly cycle of things. We have the Lord's Supper once a month. We have a weekend of baptisms once a month. And so there's there's a specific week for each one of those things. And so after we start with what, say, the teaching team is going to do first. Then we kind of move to the next rung on the ladder, which is what are the big rock kind of things that are going to happen each week out of the month. And then from there, we start to approach scripture readings, prayer times, songs, um, other other types of elements like that. And we all sing from the same song catalog as well. And So that's another thing that really takes up a bulk of our time to try to put 10 or 12 creative leaders in a room and tell them, hey, we got one song that we're gonna introduce to the congregation this month. That's it's a lot of friendly fighting going on to, to try to discern exactly which song
1: we're gonna do. So are all the campuses on the same liturgy on the on each week and the same music?
2: Um, that is a fantastic question, and I don't wanna take up all of our time and tell you the history of how we plan, but uh, the, the short version is that um, until about three years ago, all of our campuses had complete freedom to kind of do their own flow, in that sense, it was, it was more of a centralized DNA, and then all the campuses planned their own songs. Every campus had their own song bank, in a sense. And we started to realize that if we want to be one church in many locations, sometimes it doesn't really feel like one church. And so three years ago is when we shifted, and everybody sang the same songs at every campus, every week, but the order of the songs might be different sometimes. There was a little bit of flexibility there. And now we've kind of swung the pendulum back a little bit more so that we all sing from the same song bank which is maybe 60 songs but at the same time you might not hear the same song on a given weekend at all seven locations your turn
1: yeah the uh, the way that the planning goes uh is very very similar to what jonathan does uh, from the standpoint is that there's a at the three campuses there's a there's primarily a, a lead worship leader at each of those campuses. They'll come up with a skeleton, and then we'll sit down together about two or three, sometimes four weeks out, and, and tweak that and work on that based on the, where we know the pastors are gonna be heading, heading from that. One of the things that I think, we could all talk about our individual context, but there are a couple questions that probably are really helpful as we, as we think about worship in the development of worship planning. One is, is to realize that why do we gather in the first place? And sometimes we don't go to, to that level of just really talking, because if, if we don't know why we gather, then the planning of a specific worship may not hit that target. Of, it, it won't hit the target because we don't have the target. So really having a, a, a really solid basis for why do we gather in the first place? And what are some of those reasons that we gather? And then not only that, but and keep coming back to those, it's kind of like a curriculum in some ways, or it's kind of like a, a thesis of a paper. Here's your thesis, and this is why I'm stating this. Here are the reasons that I'm stating this to convince the readers of the thesis. The same thing is true, I think, a lot of times with our worship ministries. We don't really have a, a well-stated reason for the gathering. What, what's just a very articulate way to say this is why we gather.
2: So are there some things that you've started to work out in your context that you can share with us?
1: Yeah, there are a few things that, that we've, we've talked about in, in, in our context are um, the, the, the intersection between uh, the vertical and the horizontal. Um, it's interesting, in Peterson's book, Engaging with God, he spends most of the back part of that book in the theology of worship on, on really the edifying aspects, the, the horizontal aspects of worship, the importance of the gathering for, for, for the body, to serve the body. So we, we continually going back and asking that question, is this serving the body? Is this serving them in connection with each other as, as well? So that's, that's one of those areas, but also, but also the, the, the vertical from the standpoint of we have a tendency to rush toward imminence now, not kind of the imminence that Cosper was talking about earlier today, but the idea of the, the Jesus, pardon me for this, but the Jesus is my girlfriend songs, instead of them being at the you know, the, the idea that we just sing all the songs about his love and his, his you know, the intimacy, but to, the idea that transcendence, through the scriptures we see the, the, the order, transcendence, the rhythm of worship being transcendence, moving to imminence. Um, and also the rhythm of worship being God's revelation and our response. that if, we, if, we, if he doesn't Ron man does a great job with this, but if, if he doesn't speak first, we've got nothing to say really. We're responding to him. He bids us, he's seeking worshipers. He's bidding us to worship. So those are just a few things. The intersection between the, the horizontal and the vertical, the idea of transcendent, moving to imminence, or transcending, transcendence, moving to the uh, more more to an intimate, and then then also that that idea of of the rhythm of worship being revelation and response. So as we try to as we try to uh, think about those some of those larger building blocks on the, on a weekly basis, it does help us to guide some of the more detailed aspects of it. Uh, and and that's that's been helpful, from from those perspectives. Um, the the other thing I would say is just some bigger picture uh, ideas. One of them would be that um, that 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 worship, in in so many ways. Why do we gather? One of them is the idea of it. it it's a it's a beautiful model of the Trinity. Um, Casper talks a little bit about this in his book, uh, The uh, Rhythms of Grace. He talks about the, the, the idea of, of, of the Son worshiping the Father, um, the Father b- being just overwhelmed with joy of the Son, the Spirit magnifying the Son, the idea of that constant interplay between the, 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 the triune God being wonderfully in community, and, and that, are a reflection of us being in community with each other as well. And sometimes we just don't think about those larger uh, larger vistas of, of the gathering. We get, and here, here it is right here, we get so detail-oriented on, okay, this has to happen here, this has to happen in so many minutes, we've got this to plug and chug in the planning center, uh, you know, grid and just to stop sometimes and think, are we doing this? What's the overall picture? Are we gathering around the gospel? Are we kind of playing the plug and chug on a weekly basis? So those are some general things that I think have helped us to just go back to some really basic questions. Why are we gathering? What is it that we want to accomplish in this gathering? And is it happening on a a weekly basis uh, to do that?
2: I love love so much of what you shared, Joe. specifically in how that calls us to faithfulness and how that calls us back to what the Word of God has already spoken into what God wants from our worship gatherings. I'm going to talk a little more about that in the second breakout category. I'm leading a breakout that's going to talk about faithfulness and excellence in worship. Um, And so I'll hit on some of those things there. But I think there's a really important thing just to kind of piggyback and paraphrase off of what you shared. I think it's important for us to keep in mind God's vision for the worship gathering because... Our sinful hearts are prone to wander, and we all can experience mission drift. It just happens because we live in a fallen world. And so we got to keep it at the forefront of our planning all the time, or else we're going to drift from it, and then all of a sudden we're going to wake up and say, how do we veer off? Where are we? Um, But I think a more specific application of that, after we keep coming back again and again to the Word of God, is to also really wrestle with the Holy Spirit and say, God, who are we as a body? What is our place in church history? Um, For 2,000 years, God's people have worshiped. And in light of that, there's a lot of variety there for 2,000 years. Um, I'm just kind of coming off of a season over the past few months of looking back at 2,000 years of Christian worship and just really marveling at how small our place is in that. But at the same time, all of our churches have a place in the broader history of God's people. And I think it's important for us to be aware of some of the traditions and influences that shape kind of who we are as a people and even push push ourselves and our teams and our elders to know how we can articulate that. Like, for example, for us, um, some of the things we talk about is we always wanna keep the congregation as a core value. So we're deeply congregational in that sense. Gospel-centered is another phrase that you've heard tossed around at this conference a lot. What are those things for you? Um, I'm sure that there are phrases that will start to come to mind the more that you get into this. Some of the things that we talk about, again, in my context, we talk about being a missional church. Um, So even how that helps shape our liturgy in that sense, just to give you an example, knowing how much we want to be just projecting the Great Commission and keep that at the forefront of who we are as the people of God um, about two years ago, we added something to the end of all of our worship gatherings that we call the missional blessing. Because it felt like at the end of our worship gatherings, we would just say something like, okay, you're dismissed. See you next week. Almost like nothing important happens between now and next Sunday morning. That's of course not what we meant, but that was the implication, right? And so instead now we actually have a pastor or the worship leader, somebody will come up on stage at the very end and we'll, Send everybody out, and it's almost become so commonplace for us that we almost make fun of it, but that means that people are starting to get it when they know that it's coming and so at the end of our worship gatherings every week we'll say something like, So church, go now in the power and presence of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ led by his Holy Spirit, you are sent and that feels far more empowering to go out and be the church in the community throughout the week than it does of just saying, See you next week right and so that's a very practical example of how we've taken our DNA of who we are as a sending church. We want to be big on sending people out, and, and that has been something that we try to look at our worship gatherings and look at the same things in that.
1: One of the questions we also ask, and I'm, and I'm gonna be dealing with this specifically next, next hour, is is what's at stake on Sunday mornings? To ask that question of, of, of us as we, as we plan from the standpoint of okay what what is it that we're what is it that we're as we as we look at this the missional values the core values of the church the pastoral leadership on on the planning but asking the question what's at stake what's at stake in this time and I, and I think the, the quick answer to that the quick and dirty answer to that is is people's view of who God is and and if our if we if we stray I like missional drift. If we stray from from knowing that we're serving, that that if we stop serving the people by helping them get a better, more clear view of Jesus Christ, His glory, His His Majesty, His grace, His His righteousness, all the the, the powerful aspects of who He is, then then we we have missed it. And that that's not just in the music; it's in the transition statements, it's in the prayers, it's even in, it's in the announcements. It's what whatever we're doing to continually point people to to Christ and, and to who He is. Because when we see Him for who He is, we also see us for who we are and, and our incredible need that we have, that all of us have.
2: So, And I love sure. the nuances that you're drawing out in that as well, that I think something we have to fight against in our culture um, is focusing only on the sermon and elevating that in our worship gatherings. That... Yes, God has blessed us with some fantastic communicators of the Word of God. But at the same time, I love the way you're drawing that out for us in our planning, that every aspect of what we do together, even the announcements, we should preach the announcements in a sense and let this be something that point us to the character of God. So do you guys have any questions? I mean, I'm sure that Joe and I could share more from our experience as well, but in the purpose of being helpful for you guys, are there some things you want to hear us talk about? We actually spend about three hours together or so. And it's it's always a fight. I think it's almost if you go to some of the leadership books like the four hour work week or something like that, everything's gonna fill the time you have allotted for it. And so it's it's that magical balance of trying to say what's just enough, even though it feels a little constrained sometimes. And so we spend about three hours together. If I could follow up. Yeah, sure. Yes, is the answer. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's actually, I would say it's rarely everything. Um, for us in our context, our pastor really likes to come in. He does most of the teaching on the teaching team, and he, uh, he does most of his sermon prep the week before. And so that means that if I'm holding out until he knows exactly what that focused sermon is going to be, it's, it's way too late for me to get songs out of the band. And so I really push for that we have some kind of discussion about what the sermon series is and where he might go and then just take it very loosely and plan in the Spirit and then still at the same time lead in the Spirit. Sometimes we think that to actually worship in the Spirit or to lead in the Spirit is only on Sunday, and it's not. The Spirit's the same Spirit 365 days a year, and so we can still be sensitive to the Spirit in our planning three months in advance and ask him ahead of time, okay, God, so what do you want to do with our worship gathering this weekend? But it's been actually very neat for us that, uh, so we plan once a month as a, as a team, but then on top of that, every every Wednesday morning for us, all of all the campus pastors from all of our campuses, um, I'll be there to represent the worship leaders and our teaching pastor for that week, will all meet together and we have a coordinated meeting to talk about what's happening that weekend. and. And the teaching pastor will actually preach through the sermon, in a sense, to that team and get some feedback. And so that's really helpful for us to know by Wednesday morning, we've got a little more um, detail into what's going to happen that weekend. So the three hours is once a month? Three hours, once a month. And then I send a meeting that lasts an hour once a week and take some takeaways from that and email out to the worship team, to all the worship leaders at each campus.
3: or can
2: the Spirit lead from various angles? I think so, and I would would be curious to hear what you have to say on this too, Joe, but something that I've really been kind of refreshed about is sometimes I feel like we get into this mode of thinking, okay, let's start with what the teaching pastor is going to share first, and I'm even trying to balance that sometimes with saying, what sorts of things, as a pastor who focuses on gathered worship, what are the things that I want to see our people discipled with Throughout the course of the year, are there some scriptures that we need to be reading? Almost kind of hinting at like a liturgical calendar in that sense. What are the things that I want our people to be shaped by that don't necessarily have to tie in to a specific theme in the sermon? Because it's all God's story; it all goes back to the story of God, and that's kind of what
1: we're planning out of. Yeah, that's really good. I, I like that as well. Some of you probably are, are working with pastors who may be textual expositors. They they may say yeah i'm going to i'm going to spend the next 4 weeks on the word stand or and i worked with a pastor for for 14 years and he was in he was in ephesians for 5 of it <laughs> and 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 literally i could take you to my office right now and show you the bible that i have that ephesians falls out of my <laughs> bible because for literally for for 5 years that's where we were and he would he would take a week and talk about one word so i i would you know Boy, I could do standing on the promises one day, maybe, you know, I, I, I'm just, I'm kidding. But but there was a, but, but that really forced me, and he, and he said, I don't want you to have to feel like you, you're you going to have, you're not going to be able to chase me around. It's just not going to happen. So he said, I really want you to develop your own, and, and that's where by necessity, biblically guided worship came. Uh, really became a part of what we did for, for, for many, many years. And that was what we figured out, and what we began to realize is that there are wonderful orders of worship laid out all over the scriptures. You, you think of some major ones, like you think of the Isaiah 6 passage. That is a perfect worship order. And, and you know that it's been for centuries used as the model. There are the, the revelation passages, wonderful passages, and, they are, and they're the contour of the gospel. you think about isaiah and i know you i don't want to sound like i'm feeding you know cookies on the lowest shelf that's not what i mean here but it's a beautiful picture of the gospel it's a beautiful picture of and and when we use scripture guided worship the psalms are full of wonderful passages that first speak of his transcendence for example the end of or the beginning the first two verses of isaiah 66 in the last chapter of isaiah it, it not only is a beautiful representation of revelation response, it's also a great representation of transcendence and imminence He starts off by saying, you know, um, thus saith the Lord, basically, and, and the general idea of, you know, you can't build for me a place. There's no place that, uh, that God can fit into any box that you build and the, and the majesty and the glory and, the, and the, the grandeur of God. And then the end of the second verse, that says, on this one I will look. He who is, is, as a contrite heart and who trembles at my word." It goes from transcendence to eminence. You can build an entire worship service off of those passages by beginning and saying, listen to the word of the Lord, and beginning with that Isaiah, and, and, and sing those songs of His majestic grandeur. And then the realization of, we, we, are, we, we are weak, we are needy, we are broken, and then the the realization of, it, it's so much different to use scripture by beginning a service by saying something like, listen to the word of the Lord, rather than, how y'all doing? What, what's, what's people, who are people responding to? With the how y'all doing, they're responding to us, listen to the word of the Lord, they're immediately responding to him. So I think some of you deal with pastors or work with pastors that are, they're, they're finished up on Saturday nights. That's not a criticism. That is not a criticism at all. But in that case, where do we go and, and what do we do? And I wanna to say to you that the scriptures, that the Bible is full of worship orders, and that if there's anything that's gonna unify and unite a group of people under one banner, it's the scripture. And to be able to begin a service and to, and to, to go through a service by saying, and listen to what David says next. And, and listen to what Isaiah says next. Or listen to what Paul says next. And that leads into we're another worship element that helps us to move through a worship order. Um, so, I, so that's a great point. There are sometimes we we're not going to have that. We're not going to have that that rubric of a, of, a, of a pastoral message that's going to direct us. So where do we go? Because here's the, here's the other deal that you all realize. 52 weeks a year we have to do this. It never stops. Sunday always is there. And if you're on a vacation, guess who's already put the worship order together and is handing it to the guy that's subbing for you, right? I mean, that can be daunting. But using the scriptures and allowing the scriptures to be the centerpiece and the guide you will never run out. It will it is a never ending well of wonderful resource for us to guide our people through a worship service by using the scriptures. So that maybe took a little tangent there, but 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 boy what what a great resource that we often don't use enough.
3: We should be singing, it. singing after the preaching. Correct. That's what I want to do <laughs> yes. after I hear Don Carson and Paul Tripp. I want to, I want to sing those truths that we already did afterwards. And so I know this is only applicable to a certain context.
2: And we can decide for ourselves. But is there wisdom maybe to challenging that from a
1: philosophical standpoint? I, I want to hear. I want to hear what Jonathan has to say about this too. <laughs> but I tell you what, I think it's. I, I really think there's something wonderfully.
2: Uh, what does a typical order of worship look like for you
1: guys in your context? It's too typical. Are there are there songs? Yeah, I'll be actually After you. the sermon? Yeah, it's way too typical. Honestly, it's just I. I if I could change it, I would, because um, I would probably move to a model a little more similar to what you're talking about. I think I'll give you one quick example. Russ Moore who's now at the ERLC, used to be the vice president here and the head of the School of Theology, the dean of the School of Theology, just a fantastic preacher, um, asked us on a a chapel service one morning if we would sing a particular song at the beginning. And and he he gave kind of an odd request. He said, would you also sing this as the song of response after the message? I want the same song sung At the beginning, it was... That chapel sings pretty well. I mean, it, it, we're, we're in there with DNT people right now, but when the seminary kids are there, it, it still sings pretty well. It's, it's a pretty neat atmosphere to lead worship. And it was fine. He preached the message and the message lined up. beautiful. I mean, it, he he knew exactly why he was asking for that particular song. You could have literally, the decibel level was just incredible of the response to the Word of God and knowing how that song literally just w- was pulled from that and the ability to do that. I don't think you are off at all by, by if you have the ability and, and the dialogue with a pastor who's willing maybe to do that, to, be, to gather the community, to gather the community in revelation response through the Word of God and then the, 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 the preaching, and then maybe some extended time of singing. Boy, I, I would love, I would love to see what that would happen. And I don't think you're out of line. For us, it's it's pretty pretty typical. We do, we try to do the revelation response. We try to go for transcendent to, to imminent. But there's that that offering time, and then there's the preaching time, and then there's the song of response. So unfortunately, I could plug and chug in planning center. Honestly, uh, then that's hard. How about you guys?
2: first I'll speak directly to your comment in that sense that I think it's I think it's something where you have to know your people yeah. I think that's why we're called to be pastors is, is to yep. sh- be shepherds of the flock and to smell like sheep and to know our people and so sometimes God gives us a brand new conviction about something that is obviously rooted in something that shows us his character and is biblical good. but at the same time we need to steward that and know how we can best lead our people through that sometimes that's not an overnight thing but I would say um, I think that's something to probably work through with a team of people at your church and, and try to figure out what the Spirit's guidance, what that's going to look like in your context. We actually have, for that reason, at least one song after the sermon every week. Um, if there's a typical model for us at the Summit Church, we have uh, about four songs every Sunday. And so we'll do two songs up front with some sort of call to worship, a scripture reading in there, some prayer time as well. And between those two songs, it's all just a flow. And uh, and then after that, we'll get to the sermon. And then after the sermon, we have another couple of songs with the offering. And and then we finish with a missional blessing and some announcements tied into that as well for that same reason.
1: I'm just glad you noticed that, that how central the word has been throughout the conference and through the worship services, that it really is on on almost every single worship we've had, and what we do here as well, is it is a response to the Word.
2: And I think it's important for us to see as well that to apply the paradigm of revelation and response does not only mean singing after the sermon, that there's so many ways to do that. Like, that shows up in every aspect of planning worship. We can call people to worship with the Word, then sing and respond to that we can call people to worship through the revelation of God in the Lord's supper yes. or in baptism or in all of these other things, or even like in the middle of a song. Sometimes I loved, I loved what Michael bleaker shared with us this morning. Like sometimes in the middle of a song and in an instrumental, we'll put scripture on the screen. And then that's just another little way that we're always going back and forth, back and forth revelation response. Other other questions? Yes. Um, the last six or seven years,
0: we've been trying to do a gospel shaped service yes. involving you know, kind of our own version of a liturgy. Sure. Um, where, where we actually do have revelation and then we ha- have a, a, an aspect of confession every week. Good. And then um, an aspect of hoping, placing our hope in the gospel. The idea is that, that. we're getting to articulate the full gospel before the pastor gets in the pulpit. Excellent. So that's our context but we're struggling with different ways and working with readings and writing prayers. and you know I'm, I'm really pushing the congregation in the directions that they're uncomfortable. Some of them feel it's we're stretching our collar um, by reading <laughs> prayers together. Uh, I was wondering what kind of experience you guys have had in working on congregational confession and how that plays into and how often you guys work that into your service. My pastor is so excited about it. He's like, we need to do this every week. Know, he, he 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 gets it too, and and that's it's also hard to do it every week um, without it feeling, rote. Yet, the, yet that's what we're doing We're articulating the gospel every week, and I, I just love to hear how you guys are. If you guys have worked, I love the idea of biblically formed model. It find the passage and follow that stream. Um, I was wondering if you guys have wrestled with you know, kind of shaping it around.
1: Yeah, just on a, on a brief overview. First of all, I, I think I think you're r- right on the money, and I think as Bob Coffin likes to say, we, we gather around the gospel. Well, the, the gathering around the gospel is gathering around the contour of the gospel: who God is, who we are, our confession, and then a realization that we, through Christ, have that that that, that freedom in Him. I think one of the things i wish cosper were here because they do at sojourn anybody here at sojourn here in louisville is there do we have, is there any sojourn members in here yes yeah, so so you guys would do that each week i mean there would be there would be that time of confession and i'm and i i'm at sojourn quite a bit and, and work a lot with mike on on various things i think there would be there would be a lot of ways that that might be articulated. One might be you can sing a confession, and sing that response. You can do a, a responsive reading. That's wonderful. You could do that through a pastoral way. Am I am I catching some of those that you guys do? Yes. You celebrate there that assurance of pardonness, and I'm not sure. One of the one of the resources I know Mike uses a lot here. We use it as well. I use it here a lot at campus. Is the the worship resource book, the worship source book, that put out by the Calvin Institute. The new the new version of that is just a great. It is a great resource for things like that. Um, Bob Weber has did a lot of resources like that. I really like the, the the Worship Source book for those things. I think that's one of the joys of of that creativity that can be there without it, be, without it pushing your, knowing your congregation and knowing what they can have, knowing what they will be able to respond to and knowing what will serve them best.
2: Yeah. So a couple of practical things. Um, so the Worship Source book, I think that's John Whitfleet. Yes. Um, so that's for those of you that are taking notes. I want to look that up. But uh, I, think, I think as well, going back to the examples of confession, I mean, even just to emphasize that in light of the Lord's Supper, and every time you do that, making that apparent that we're confessing our sins and what Christ affords us in his sacrifice, um, in his body and blood. And so I think as, I think as well, <coughs> just being aware of what other people are doing and what other traditions have done in that sense. And so I think if you know somebody like the Sojourn guys, um, how many of you have more of like a concrete liturgy every week that you actually work through? Yeah. And so, and so just knowing kind of what other churches are doing, what other traditions are doing, what other resources are available to actually spark ideas for your context. I think that's a really helpful thing. Other questions? I think off the cuff, um, just a couple of things that really kind of come to mind. Um, I think if we really have an awareness of the magnitude of what God has called us to, it always humbles us. When we get a glimpse of the majesty and glory of God and the privilege it is to come before Him in worship, that we know it's not our effort, that it's by His grace we've been saved through faith, not by works, not by power, not by my, but by my spirit, declares the Lord. Like as we really understand the truths biblically of who God is and what he's called us to, it's always going to humble us. That's just the fruit of the spirit in that. And so I think, I think that's a part of it is that, is that we make sure that we're always, I think in a sense we can't lead people somewhere that we're not going ourselves. And it's one thing to say that intellectually and to say, okay, I'm sure all of us in this room know that. we forget that again and again and that's where god has made us a part of a people and we have a body and each and every one of you are a part of a church all of us have a church that we are a part of in that and so it's not a journey that we're making alone so that should be a really good gut check i think for all of us is even as worship leaders are we walking alone are we journeying alone because that's a dangerous place to be that's not how god created us
1: I think it was Spurgeon. I'm not sure. It said, "Man errs not so grievously as when he does not take into consideration his own condition." It it really is that it really is that being aware of of what of what is what is directing the desires of my heart, because the desires of my heart will lead me to my destination. And and it's like the Psalm one it's the beautiful picture of the righteous man and the unrighteous man and, and where where the desires of those hearts end they, where they end up and i think i think it's a, and and where that goes i think what jonathan mentioned is really key yes it is the daily disciplines yes it is time in the word on a daily basis but it's also the community gathered around and being connected c- to community together that we, from where we are gathered around and, and edified, and people in our lives close enough to us to say, "Dude, I think you're, I think you're off here," or "Dude, have you not spent any time with your family? I've seen you here forever," or whatever it is. What, what are you doing over there by yourself all the time? Why have you kind of, why have you kind of faded off? I mean, so I think it's both. I think it's the community, but it's also, it's also the the daily disciplines as well. But I, I, that that phrase, that phrase really does come to come to my mind a lot. Men errs not so grievously is when he does not take into consideration his own condition, and it is a it is a gut check on a regular basis, um, because the greatest need of your congregation, is your holiness, Robert Murray McShane.
2: For me, John fifteen also comes to mind. Christ said, "I'm divine. Yes. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. And I don't think the intent of that is to think that we would really do nothing. Right. What I think he means there is that everything that we do, because we're going to do things, we're a bunch of doers, that everything we do
1: apart from Christ is worthless. Mm -hmm. That's humbling. And the older the vine gets, the more pruning it needs. Tozer once said, I feel like I need to get saved again. Tozer wasn't thinking he he was losing his salvation, Tozer was just realizing that pride and things that weren't the deal for him, maybe as a young man, but the older that he got, the more he grew in his relationship with Christ, the more he saw who Christ was, the more he realized how greatly he was in need of Him. (laughs) And, And any of the older guys in this room will tell you, that is absolutely the case. I am wretched, differently wretched than I was when I was 21, but more so.
0: Any more practical questions
2: at all as well? Yes.
0: that into your programming and your planning uh, so that that gets shared to the grander audience of this local church that is scattered across multiple campuses. Boy, that's a great Fantastic question. question. I'll
2: give you a couple of just kind of bullet point thoughts sure. of how we do that. Um, so especially through videos. Mm-hmm. And so in our cycle of videos, I think now we try to do two videos a month. So two out of four weeks, we'll have a video in the service, and out of those, um, at least one of those will probably be a story of, of like life change or a testimony or something tied to some kind of thing. Um, sometimes as well, I'd say once every two or three months, we'll do a live testimony at every campus, and we'll actually see what God's doing and how we can share those stories. Um, there's a ton of other ways, though, that are outside of the worship gathering. And so at our church, we use the city, and we'll do posts like that for, you know, for everybody to see how people's lives are being changed, we still do a printout that we hand out in our worship gatherings, and that actually has a story in it um, every single month of somebody who's talking about that's something that God's done in their life. And then a final thing that I think about, about once every other month, we'll have different members from the congregation come up and share a passage of Scripture that's that's a little bit different than a testimony. I use the word testimony in the sense that, like, somebody says, I got saved last week and here's my story. Um, but then outside of that, every other month we'll have two or three people from the congregation that the spirits just put a verse in their heart to share with the church. We've, we've actually coached a culture of that um, at our church to where they'll, two or three of them will line up on stage after we finish a song and, and they'll just share the word of God with the body of Christ. And it's, it's been a really authentic way for us to hear what God is doing in the specific lives of individuals. Sometimes, yes, and that that certainly takes a lot of guidance and
1: shepherding. <laughs> I I am I hate to break this down. It's we're almost at three. I believe the next breakout session starts at. Am I right? Is it three thirty? Oh, yeah, good. You know what? Great, great. Yeah, let's take our time. It's just absolutely. Uh, those are those are wonderful. Those are wonderful comments. We we're not doing a great job of that. Uh, at, at IVU at this point. We're just we're still working on some of those things. We have one serve what we call one services where we bring everybody together. That's cool. Um, uh, it used to be used to be probably four or five times a year in the evenings on Sunday evenings. And that was a great time for testimony. Bring all the musicians together, and things like that. It was great. We have done it recently in a morning in our larger campus venue and everybody was there at the same time. So that's been helpful as well. I love those ideas that Jonathan gave you. Helpful, you. Yeah, you bet.
0: Yes. Um, can you can you guys break down a little bit how you use? Uh, I'm fortunate enough that I can be at my church full time staff, and I work with volunteers primarily, um, and it's a joy. I love it. Can you guys tell me how you how you break down how you how you have care for them?
2: Uh, Yeah, I'll go ahead and jump in first. Um, So for me it's tough to answer that with just one type of answer because our contexts are so different with all of our teams, all of our teams are different in that. But um, I think in general um, most of our teams have between let's say 10, 15 volunteers or so. And I would say in general we want to have people serve at least once a month. and then really just let the individual members of our church dialogue with us about what they want to do. I mean, I could think of, for example, one guy, some of our campus worship leaders have said, I'm afraid he's going to burn out. He's serving like every week. But he loves doing it. Why should we tell somebody, hey, don't serve, if he's doing it joyfully? And so that's just been something that we just try to be a pastor and be aware of where our people are. And, and to really equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Isn't that what we're supposed to do in that sense? And so just be aware of where they are and what they're going through. And so know the things like when their wife is pregnant and she's going to give birth and you go visit the hospital and you're a pastor instead of just a scheduler or a front man or something like that. And as long as you're aware of those things, then it's going to become apparent when the guy that's never late for band rehearsal is late for band rehearsal. And you're like, hey, man, is there something going on in your life? And, and that sheds light on another area that you can address.
1: Yeah, I, I appreciate the question because it's, 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 a, it's, it's very pastoral in its nature. Sometimes I think we as worship leaders and musicians and have a tendency to look at our people as objects a little bit. We, we don't see them enough as folks that the Lord himself, the sovereign God of the universe has brought into the orb of our influence for us to minister to them. And sometimes, here's, here's one that I've, I've had to deal with in the past as well. It's this one. What can they do to make my ministry better? That's a horrible look. That, that's a horrible, that, that's looking at people as commodities to improve my ministry. And it's not even my ministry. I mean, that is such a wrong way, such a horrible way to look at that we're there to serve those people and to see them be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ and we've got to know them to be able to do that and i think as we understand their rhythms of life like jonathan was saying there are people that that you know they're like energizer bunnies and that's they they can do that every week the other thing that that we've tried to do is to to make sure that as we look at the as we look at the the song list this is going to sound like we're really song-driven, please don't take it this way. As we just look at the. we are trying to be more intentional in our, in our multicultural aspects of our, of our worship. Um, our pastor's vision is that we would look more like Louisville, we would look more like the world, and we'd look more like heaven, because we're very white. Um, so Pastor Kevin Smith, who's one of our preaching pastors here, is an African-American. He's now one of our teaching pastors. And and he really told he said look if we want to begin to be more into you know look more like Louisville people on the platform need to look more like Louisville people who are leading need to look more like Louisville and and as we've done that we've realized that some of our musicians are really comfortable with more with, with music that is when we when we when we've tried to expand our musical vocabulary we have a rhythm section that's much more comfortable with that than than another rhythm section. And, and so we've really tried to, to, to be very strategic on when certain players play and, and they understand that because it's, it's setting them up for success as well in the teams to so, boy, this, is, this has got more of an R&B feel or this has got more of a B, Hammond B3 feel or this has got more of a, you know, we, we, we need this drummer for that particular day as we plan out. And that served them better and it's also served, I think, the body better. but but for, us to, but for us to always remember that, that we want to serve them and help them grow in their Christlikeness at that, that time. I don't know if that helped at all, but
2: and I think as well, like I would I would be less about, hey, this is a formula for doing it in a mm-hmm. sense, and right. more about, first of all, I love the fact that you have the pastoral concern Absolutely. and you're asking the question. Absolutely. I think I think every worship leader needs to be asking those questions that's about exactly their team. That. But then secondly, have we even thought about brainstorming for all the ways that we can do that? Because if, if pastoral ministry is our heart and discipleship is our heart, all believers are called to discipleship and to make disciples. And so if that's our heart, then it's going to overflow into everything we do. It... I'd say it overflows into how we hang out before and after the services, the things we talk about, like what happens at the end of a band rehearsal. Are we spending time talking about the word and praying together, or are we just shooting the breeze? And I think it's going to color everything that we do in that sense. Yeah. That's good. Great
1: question. Yes. You guys are talking about
0: approaching volunteers from pastoral. (laughs) Your volunteers skill set without coming
3: off I think you it.
1: You just did it. <laughs>
2: Welcome to ministry. Um, so I'm actually having an internal dialogue with myself because I don't want to show too many of my cards what I'm gonna be sharing in my breakout session in 30 minutes.
1: In other words, he's saying, come to his breakout session in 30 minutes. <laughs> in a minutes. sense, that's yes. That's really what he's saying <laughs> but, <to you. laughs> Um at the
2: at the same time, I will say that if God has put you in a position of leadership, leadership is never easy. It always involves challenging the process. And sometimes we can all become reactionary and passive leaders. And that's not what God has called us to. And so... Knowing, first of all, that the task before you is not easy. I think that's the first step. But then the heart of a pastor is one of love. I mean, Christ in his days on this earth looked at people as sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them. And so if we're compassionate with people, then we're not going to come at them and ask them to shape up or ship out. We're going to approach them in love. And ultimately, our people want to be good at what they do. And God has put us in a position to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so if, if all those things are working together, then the conversation's nothing but a win-win because they want to be better at what they do. You've got tools to help them in that. And just finding a way to communicate those things is, is key. Uh,
1: we have a discussion of, of this in, our, in one of our classes here. And, and it always interests me to see how the students take this. But if you've had a chance to read Best's book of Music Through the Eyes of Faith, he has a section on excellence. And he talks about the difference between think, not not comparing people, you know that, that we've got to get away from, especially in the local church, in that area of wanting to challenge them. But his definition ends up being something like this: It's something like, "I'm better than I was yesterday." That each day there's there's just a, a development in realizing that I'm I'm better at what I do than I did yesterday, and that's that's really the boiled down definition of that. And and here's the other thing, too, I think that's always so helpful. As we deal with our people in every process, because minist- you're right, Jonathan, ministry is one series of difficult conversations after another. That's what the ministry, I mean, at the end of the day, and if we're not ready to have those difficult conversations, then we probably don't love them enough. And and in that idea of, of that each day being better than we were yesterday, I think it's also a realization of the fact that, that that we look at that and we that every process that we help our people go through, at the end of that line, it, it should be redemptive. How is that process going to make them more Christ-like? What, what, what part of that? What part of them being a better bass player? Is it just for them to be a better bass player? I don't think so. If that's the end goal, we've missed it because that's not the discipleship we desire in their lives. But being a better bass player could actually be a part of their walk with Christ, and being, and being more Christ-like. I mean, there, there are connection points that I don't think over-spiritualize that. And, and that's one of the joys of ministry, is seeing people transformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. What a joy, what a joy that is. Great question.
3: And
2: I think sometimes it's important for us to understand that if, if the people that we're leading are having a tough time actually receiving what we have to say in that process, chances are there's something else going on. Exactly. And and it's important for us to realize that, hey, it might not be just a, okay, you're a, you're a bass player who slips notes and doesn't know how to follow all the root notes and everything. Okay, maybe that's not the issue. Maybe it's something totally else. And I think it's important for us just to be aware of that. I think we got time for maybe one more question if there's anybody else. Yes.
3: great question
2: great. Um, for us very quickly um, my role is to basically lead our church in a lot of that and so I no longer serve at one specific campus I lead worship from the stage just once a month um, and then the other three ish Sundays a month, I'm floating around to our other campuses and so I go to all of our campuses at least once a quarter and I'm there for the whole worship gathering and just kind of taking notes, encouraging everybody. I want, I want to be seen as the biggest cheerleader, not as the guy with the pen and paper taking notes on everything. But at the same time with that pastor's heart, I'll come back to the table and, and there's a, a grid of things that I'm thinking through and I'll just give a little coaching feedback to the campus pastor and to the campus worship leader and then I'll trust them to carry the conversation back to me or to some of the executive team and it'll, it'll be a broader a broader team conversation and then they'll be the ones to pass it down to their campus. That's great,
1: I'm glad I'm not leading worship in front of him this way, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, that's a great, that's a great edifying aspect of that and your job and your pastoral heart the way you do it, Jonathan. Um, we meet every Monday morning and we go through that and then again on Wednesday, for the next for the next Sunday. So those Monday morning meetings, I had a pastor once say to me, "Hey, enjoy Sunday cuz Monday's coming." <laughs> you know, it's just one of those ideas that listen, let's not be, let's not wear our feelings on our sleeve. Let's just really talk about what's going to make this better. So we meet as a team as a whole worship team on those Mondays and, and talk through it every every aspect of the service. And uh, sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's 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 a, everybody feels like, "Wow." But it seems to me that closer to the event uh, event of closer to the worship time the better off do you agree jonathan
2: i would agree with that and that's and that's a challenge for us because in a multi-site church it's tough to do that on mondays in a sense and so so for us we already have the wednesday meeting that's, that's talking about the coming sunday and oftentimes we'll talk about the previous sunday as well because we have all the campus pastors a lot of the central support staff and the teaching pastor all in the room and so we'll do a little bit of debrief from the week before but most of that time 75 80% is probably looking ahead to the coming week.
0: What kind of things I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What kind of things are
2: in your grid? Um, <laughs> he's going to no, do that no. at his session. No, no, actually <laughs> I'm just I'm just thinking I could probably talk about that for 5 or 10 minutes. But um I think I think in short um I'm looking Going back to what I said earlier about just knowing kind of who you are. And so for us, I'm looking at how intentional we were in the things that we said and how we led from the stage. I'm looking at is, is the gathering truly congregational and shared leadership, or is it dominated by any one leader in the gathering? How could people share more things to make it more congregational? How do the people respond? Um, I'll even give comments on the planning of, of things because for us in our model, we give central DNA, but then all the planning and all of the personalization and execution happens at the campus level. So there's certain things that we talk about centrally, but then the campuses take everything and run with it. And so I'll give some comments on, hey, I thought, I thought this went well, I thought that could be shifted around, try this next time. And so that's just kind of broad brushstrokes and everything. Well, so if we think about everything that happens in the worship gathering, somebody's probably going to say a sentence to call us to worship. Even just a stand and sing is is a sentence. Somebody's going to say that. Somebody's going to sing a song. Could a song that has three verses have three different vocalists sing the verses? Um, a prayer, a scripture reading, the Lord's Supper, announcements, missional blessings, sermon, like that's already a dozen different things, and sometimes those are only done by one or two people. And so finding that balance of how we can share the leadership and have multiple people embody those, there have been so many great examples already at this conference. Um, I'm thinking back to our most recent example with Bob and the team from Sovereign Grace and just how like every song was led by a different person in that. I I thought that was great. Who's driving those? It's it's more of the, um, in terms of just understanding who we are. It's a broad conversation with everybody, but it's really driven by me on the central kind of worship ministry end and the executive team with our elders as well. Joseph, would you close us in a word of prayer? I sure
1: will. Let's pray. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the gospel declares the glory of Christ. And we are so grateful to live and to move and to have our being uh, under the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit through Christ and through the gospel. Lord, thank you for these leaders. Thank you for their lives. Thank you for their churches. Thank you for those that they lead. Thank you for their ministries. Lord, you have called them. God is sovereign among the kingdoms of men and he gives them to anyone he wishes. They are not there by accident. They are not there because they knew somebody. They are not there because of of unusual circumstances. They are there at the end of the day because you have called them there, the sovereign God of the universe. So Lord, I pray that you would help them to live into that calling humbly, with servant hearts, in ways that will glorify you and that lord as they as they design their worship as they evaluate their worship as they as they encourage the corporate gathering around the gospel that you would continue to uh, that their eye the eyes of their heart might be continually enlightened so that they may know what is the hope of your calling and so that they may continue to to point people to Jesus Christ, to his glory, his majesty, his grace. Lord, we pray for the rest of our time here at the conference that you would find us faithful in receiving that which you would have us to know, and then, Lord, to put feet to it and to to serve our people uh, the way that you want us to, and the way that we've seen you serve throughout the scriptures. Thank you again for this time together. We pray, Lord, that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, (laughs) O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the powerful name of Christ Jesus, we pray these things. Amen and Amen. amen.